0: All right, my my clock has started, so that should calm your hearts a little bit. I don't know how much, unless it's going to beep really loud, I don't know if it's going to stop me at the end, but um, we at least got a a point out there on the horizon. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to to be here, to teach the Word of God. I sure love Pat and Sandy, Um, known him for so many years, and I just am always thankful to get a chance to come in here and be a part of your fellowship. I know his love for you. I know his love for the word of God. I know that each time that I come here, I sense the peace of God and that this is a safe place to be, to come and have the word of God opened and go line upon line and just to be able to rest in the truth of God's word. And I tell you what, that's just not something that happens all the time when you go into a church a Christian church. You just never know what you're going to get when you walk in to a church or where they're going or what they where they've come from and so to know that you have a, a safe place. The Bible says in the last days there's gonna be gonna be a lot of trouble coming into the church. Uh, they're not gonna put up with sound doctrine anymore. So sure love you my friend and I'm very thankful for a chance to be here in your pulpit and uh, to honor the Lord's Word as well. Just want to say that uh, one of the reasons that I'm here here is that uh, Pastor uh, Pat's uh, brother passed away this last week and he has uh, journeyed back to, um, uh, uh, to see his family and then has come back into town again already and uh, the Lord had other uses for him this week. Um, we never know when that day is going to come and uh, when our loved ones are going to go home to be with the Lord but God's got a plan. I believe that God had a plan because you just went back to visit them, is that correct? And uh, he'd just been back there, and God had already used your life back there. And now, uh, not too many days from then, uh, the Lord knew, didn't he? He had a perfect timing. That's what we want to talk about a little bit today. I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. God cares about life and death. Keeps track of it. You know, that you you, you got a destiny for death, Right? I think the the death rate's still one per person, right? Isn't that what the going thing is, right? So we know that it's out there on the horizon. We know that there's so many days that we have left, and you know God's got your number, doesn't He? And He knows the number. How many of you want to know your number, by the way? I don't know your number? I don't know if I want to know my number. Yeah, there has been times God would tell guys their number, but um, but I know that He knows it, and so I'm just very thankful that I want to uh, learn to to number my days and know that. I can make use of each one. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And we're going to begin reading. We're going to just catch a, a first part of this. Kind of the core of this section here. And we'll walk back through uh, together. Why don't we stand together? I know you've just sat down there. We'll read this together. We'll open with a word of prayer. Luke chapter... I'm sorry. John And I don't know why I said John chapter 17, but it's John chapter 11. And it's, we're going to start our text actually in verse 17. So John 11. We'll just catch the heart of this passage here. And uh, it will begin in verse 38. I'm just going to read this one section here. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb It was a cave, a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him. And Let him go. Let's pray. Father, as we just enter into this passage, Lord, this morning, I pray that you direct our hearts, zero our minds um, in on your word. I know there's a lot of things that can choke out your word and the cares of this world and just so many things, Lord, that can keep us from focusing on you. We've come to meet with you. You are present. You are here with us, you are in us, and Father, this is a day and time set aside to listen to you, to hear from you, and God, we would ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring your word to life in our hearts, that it would change us, Lord, as we hear it. And Lord, I thank you so much for Pastor Pat, and I pray for him and his family at the loss of his brother, and uh, Lord, all of the things, Lord, that... um, go through our minds and our hearts when we lose a loved one. And uh, Father, I do pray that you would sustain him and encourage him. And, and I pray, Lord, we know that we commend his brother unto you. We're glad to be able to do that, knowing how great a God that you are. And, but Father, we just ask for your blessing on them and, and their family, Lord, this week. And we just ask, Lord, your fullness to be with us today and comforting us as well. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I guess you could stand and listen to the word for a while, but a little bit easier to have a a seat there. Now, I'd like to direct our attention. We look here at Jesus, at this miracle that he did of raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, of all the miracles that Jesus did, outside of the miracle of raising his own life from the dead, this has got to be the top miracle. I mean, a miracle is a miracle, only God can do miracles, but when we see, you know, a human being standing there, and his voice commands a tomb with a dead man of four days, and he speaks, and he comes back to life, and he walks out, and they have to open the, uh, take the grave clothes off, and that's pretty amazing, isn't it? a great testimony to God in His glory, and we want to look at that this morning and see if the Lord could touch our hearts the same way. Now, if you direct your attention back a little bit to verse 17, I want to pick up this story here a little bit earlier in John chapter 11 in verse 17. It says, So when Jesus came to Bethany, He found that He had already been in the tomb four days. Now, we do note that it's been four days, and uh, that's kind of a part of the story. It just isn't a random number, four days. It's just uh, kind of um, gives us a little bit of background that there's something there regarding these four days. You know, it looks like, as we read the story, if we would have started from here, that Jesus showed up late. He's four days late because as we get a little more of the story word had already gone out ahead of time that that Lazarus was sick and so he traveled and we know that he Jesus was staying down below the um, area of Bethany which is by Jerusalem and but Jesus was down there by the Jordan in fact on the other side of the Jordan River it's a day's journey uh, if you were traveling from one place to another and so we know that Word had um, been sent out by a messenger to go down and tell Jesus that uh, Lazarus, his good friend, who he loved, was, was ill. And so he went down there. But we know when he got down there that he said that um, after he heard the news, we see that Jesus waited around two more days. He wasn't in a big hurry to get there. And he waited around two more days. And then after two more days, he left and he took the journey back up the hill. And so now four days have gone by. One day down, hear the news, two days waiting, and then one day back up to the top. And you say, well, why why that time increment? Well, you know what? I I found that as I study the Bible, nothing's there by chance. God always has a purpose. He's always working something together and timing it. I don't know why people die when they die, but God knows, doesn't he? And Jesus is always on time. I know that. He's on a perfect timetable as he followed God. He would seek the Lord of where to go, when to be there. And so we know he was there right on time. And so uh, we, get, we get the sense here that when word went out, if, if Lazarus is dead for four days, that when word went out and that messenger started down there, that he must have died right after he left town. And, uh, and so by the time he got there, he was giving news that really wasn't full, the full news. He, he wasn't sick. He was dead but Jesus knew that because he knows everything and he already knew it right when he heard it and he says this sickness is not unto death in verse 4 but he says but for the glory of God that the son of God may be glorified through it and then a little bit later he finally confesses to his his men in verse 14 he said to him Lazarus is dead and and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there in other words that I didn't make it there in time for his sickness because i want you to believe so it means he's got a plan doesn't he and so he's waited around there and he's going to teach them something he has a point for them something that he wants them to learn to believe to grow in their faith this miracle was orchestrated to show god's power over death and jesus is right on time when he comes there even though it's four days later He is working all things together. Now, verse 18, we read that, Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So that's the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus loved all of them. But, again, we have a a little bit of a strange thing here to me when I read it. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem. Well, okay, that's a nice fact to know. It's only about two miles away. Uh, nice to, to learn another fact. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. So now you know that one, right? Bethany, oh yeah, it's about two miles from Jerusalem. But, but why, does, why do we need to know that in the middle of this story? Well, he goes on and he completes He says, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their Brother, There's something about us needing to know that a lot of the Jews had come from Jerusalem as a part of this story. What's interesting is, is that even as we see um, things unfold here, that um, God has a plan to bring several groups together. It's a divine plan. Whenever he does a miracle... In the Bible, we know that he knew who was there and why they were there. And there was usually a purpose that he did the miracle. Now, there's three groups of people that uh, are, are important to be here at this miracle. The first one, of course, is Lazarus and his family. Of course, he's the center of it. He, he died. And so uh, he's a part of it. And, uh, of course, his, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they're a part of it. And what, what was God's plan to have them as a part of it? Well, we're going to see here that both of them were believers. Both of them were believers, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus as well believed in Jesus. And we're going to see their faith here. But um, I just want you to note that, that <clears throat> we know that when we die we're going to go to be with the Lord as believers. I don't know that they understood everything about death at this point, but but they were believers there. God is not supremely always, he doesn't always supremely care about um, uh, the comfort and the uh, blessings of, of, of all of his believers. In fact, we can see in this uh, scenario here that... Um, It looks like God is even orchestrating this. Now, why did he get sick? Why did Lazarus get sick? Well, God knew that as well. Now, I'm not saying that God made him sick, but I know Jesus knew what was happening and that he was sick and knew when he was going to die because he knows exactly when we're going to die. But God has a way of using that. And for us as believers, um, that's a small part of this story here. But what God's usually looking for is for faith, isn't he? For people to believe on him and trust in him. And isn't it interesting that at a memorial or at a funeral, it's the most heightened sense that you ever have of what life's all about and where we're going and what, what we're doing in the middle of this crazy journey that we have. And, and our, our eyes are attentive and our hearts are there because death is a tragedy, isn't it? And it's unavoidable for us. We can't stop it. None of us could stop one person from dying. We don't have the power to do it. So whenever I do a memorial, I just know that everybody's feeling like I am humbled. It's just overwhelming, isn't it, to be at a place where someone's dead? Because we, we can't do, can't even comfort, can we? It's hard to even comfort, you don't even know what to say because we can't do anything about it, but we're just there for them. So that's, that's one of the reasons that uh, we see this first group, of course, they're just a part of the center of it, and he uses this a group of believers to do this great miracle and to show his great power. Now, group number two, of course, we just learned about, that would be his disciples. They've journeyed up as well, followers. They already are following Jesus, but Jesus wants to do something with their faith. He said, I, I need you to, I don't want to be there when he was just sick because that, that wasn't going to be the full impact. I wanted you to be there when he was dead so that you might believe and it's something good about a believer knowing that Jesus has power over death it does something for us doesn't it in fact it really should do something for us it's a great lesson for us what if we knew we didn't have to worry about death wouldn't that help your life out a lot if you just didn't have to worry about it anymore now let's just say of course as believers right now you don't have to worry about death do you It's been swallowed up in victory. God has eternal life for you. How does that impact the way that we live our lives? These men were still worried about death. And Jesus was going to show them that, hey, listen, um, you don't have to worry about death. Um, I got full command over death. Um, it's It's no big deal for me just to call out by my name and I can bring people to life again. And so that's part of this testimony for them it changes us it should change us when we come to faith in christ because now we know where have eternal life death isn't going to swallow us up anymore so god is working on their faith why because they were going to l- give their lives up weren't they for uh, in their following of the lord now group number three now this is the one i think we need to be interested in here we've seen these group of jews that are coming now i think they're they're really the the, def- definitely the guests of the Lord here in this scenario so ones he wanted to be there now I'm just going to give you my understanding here one of the reasons is I believe that he waited two more days to come up is because he wanted to give this some time because news traveled down and then what happened with the delivery guy when he dropped off the news he turned around and went back and as he's going along the way, what was he doing? He was telling everybody what had happened. And Jesus was invited, and Jesus is going to, you know, uh, Jesus is probably going to show up because he loves Lazarus. Word gets out. It might be one of the reasons why uh, we're told that, you know, Jerusalem's only two miles away. You think that news could have went on ahead into Jerusalem that, hey, uh, Jesus is coming this way? One of the reasons that they're afraid. Uh, the, the disciples are afraid also of death is because Jesus has a death sentence on him already. See, he left to go down to that area there um, while the Jews were trying to kill him. They've been trying to kill him. And so he's left and gone down and people are coming out of Jerusalem to go down to be with the Lord. They're believing on him down where John the Baptist used to baptize. So, uh, when they heard word that they were going back up to Judea, it was like a death sentence. And uh, Thomas, he says in the, verse 16 at the end, uh, I mean, the, um, yeah, in verse 16, he says, Hey, well, we're going to go up and die with you. Uh, but Jesus isn't worried about death, is he? He's not worried about death. But word's gone out that Jesus is coming back again. And you know what? Uh, word has gone out and a lot of Jews had showed up to be there at this funeral so it's a it's like three trains are you know coming God's got he's always working a whole bunch of angles you know that right when things happen in your life and tragedies happen and all that you know that God knows how to orchestrate them but the best place that we can be in that orchestration is if we're listening to God and we're following his timetable he's got a perfect timetable and wants to use us And when something happens, what's one of the first questions we should ask as believers? Lord, how can you use me? How can you use me in this? God, you got a plan here. You knew this would happen, God. You orchestrate my life. You know the days. You know this situation. Lord, how can you use me? And you're trying to get your mind around what God is doing in the middle of that. Boy, that is a blessing as a believer to know that God is in control of all things. Perfect timing. He always knows what everything's going to happen. We're the ones who think it's crazy, right? I can't believe that happened right now. God knew it was going to happen right now. And he's working and he's weaving. does not that what he says in Romans chapter 8, right? I'm working all things together for good. For those that are called according to the purpose of the Lord, especially for believers, he can work it. He's working and he'll work it out. And so these disciples are afraid to go up, as they should be because Jesus, they've threatened Jesus' life and they want to kill them as well. Um, and so now uh, through that, a whole group of Jews have come. Now, I just want to remember that because that's uh, an important statement here. Now, verse 23. Jesus said to her, um, excuse me, verse 21. Or actually, where am I? Verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met with him. Mary was sitting in the house. And so Mary goes, uh, Martha goes out to visit Jesus, but Mary stays there. They're going to meet Jesus one at a time. They're going to come out one at a time. But obviously news had gone ahead to Mary and Martha. They, she turns around and Martha goes outside of the city. And we're going to find out that Jesus hasn't even got there to Bethany yet, but already things are abuzz and Martha's out there to go meet with the Lord. And when she comes out there to him, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I love the way believers handle situations like this. Martha wasn't falling apart. There's a lot in her statement here to see that she uh, knew Jesus pretty well. In fact, it was full of faith, really, what she had said to the Lord. She said what? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What does that mean? It means I know you could have, if he was still alive and he was sick, you could, you could heal him. I know you could heal him. I've watched you. I've seen you. We know the miracles. That would have been no problem for you, Lord. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Sounds like there's some faith that, but I wouldn't put it past you to be able to raise him from the dead. And you think, what, 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 what brought her to that kind of faith when she looked at Jesus? Now, we know that he has raised the dead before, and, and we're seeing that power there, but she's intimating something uh, to Jesus. A lot of faith. Puts a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it, if you were Jesus? I know you could have healed him, but I still think you could still do whatever you need to do. Whatever God wants you to do, you could do. I'm always amazed uh, at this as well when I go to a memorial that um, whether people are believers or are are not believers, when they come into a Christian church and they hear a Christian ceremony, everybody thinks Jesus is going to raise that loved one from the dead and they're going to heaven. Right? I mean, at least that's the talk that goes on when you have a Christian service. It's like, hey, that's what that's what Jesus does he takes people to heaven and they get their wings and they go and they flap around or whatever they think but it's just this idea that that's what Jesus does and that's a lot to put on him well how how does he do that and why does he do that and a lot of questions that we don't know but we just trust that the Lord can do it but a lot of expectation upon him now we look here at the, uh, verse 23, and Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. So he tells her, um, You got it. He's coming back. And she said to him, Well, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, that's an interesting statement there. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, somewhere out there. Now, if you think about that, what did the Jews believe regarding the resurrection? Now, for us as believers, our whole world has changed now when we understand the resurrection because we understand it through Christ. But what was she thinking about? Did they believe there would be a day of resurrection? Oh, yes, they did. When would that day come? Well, it would be at the last day. Well, when was the last day for a Jew to say, I know that this can happen at the resurrection at the last day? Well, that was to say this, that that was when the Messiah would come and he would raise those dead Jewish people up and they would also be a part of ruling and reigning with him over this world that was part of the promises that the scriptures taught. In Isaiah 2.2 2, and also Micah 4.1, it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples, will stream to it. Both passages say that there's going to come a time when the mountain of the Lord, which means the kingdom of the Lord, will rise above all the other kingdoms and he will rule and reign. That is part of what the Jews believed would happen. And so in her mind, what was she possibly thinking? Are you the one? Is this the last day? I think her heart was full wasn't it and Jesus said to her here's what he turned and said to her he knows our heart doesn't he He knows what we're fishing for and he fills it here's what he said I am verse 25 I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this Her mind must have been going a 1,000 miles an hour. This is one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible, of the power and glory of Jesus right here. It's what we look at and we see it's an I am passage, uh, one of the I am's that Jesus speaks of in John. And the I am is a reference back to when Israel first understood God and Moses said, well, who am I supposed to say, send me to tell Pharaoh what to do? I'm going to need to have some big guns on this one. Who are you? I am that I am. I am. Tell them that I am that I am sent you. It's just kind of a great little phrase there, of remembering that God's who God is. And he doesn't need a big name. He is who he is. He's God over everything. And he's huge. And he controls everything. And so... Um, She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, I am is a combination of two words ego, um, which means I, and it just means the self, and then a me, which means uh, exist. I am. I exist. And then he puts that other phrase there. I am and exist. I am that I am. And and he connects it with the resurrection. The resurrection. What is that? That's anastasis, which means to raise the dead to life. Just what we think of when we think of the resurrection. So what is he saying? I exist in absolute authority over death. I rule over that whole kingdom. It's, it's my domain. That's who I am. And he's speaking to himself, this is who I, I exist to raise the dead to life. It's, 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 he's re- making a reference to him as being God, and he's the God of all life. All things were made through him, and all things are held together by him. And it was just a moment where she could look and say, she was looking at the giver of life. And it was, had to be peace that came all the way over her body to say, I think it's going to be okay, right? I think this thing is going to be okay. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't think we really get all that Jesus is. He's ruling it all. He's over all of it. And death is no barrier at all to him. He walks past it. He calls it back to life again. It means nothing to him. But it's a huge barrier for us, isn't it? We live regarding our death, what our life's going to be, that we're going to die. And, and our humanity, it's, just, it's a part of us. But for the Lord, he was past that. He's, that's no barrier at all. Death is, means nothing there. He says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, I just want to take a few minutes with you and just talk about something. I think it's exciting in this passage but it says he who believes in me though he may die he shall live what does that mean it means you're, you're going to die but then you're going to rise again so you're still going to die but I got it you're going to rise again but then he throws in the second portion and he says and plus whoever lives and believes in me shall never die well okay did he just say the same thing two ways no no, he really didn't he says, he's saying two things how can Jesus promise that a person who believes in him will die and then in the next sentence say he will not die will I die or will I not die and ask the question and the answer is both are true <laughs> you will die and you will live the body will die, but the soul will not die. It's an interesting dichotomy of the two parts of man, his soul and his body. And the Bible says they'll be separated. The, the soul is going to be separated from the body, and the body is going to go, and it's going to die. Now, there are a couple of different views uh, regarding these, uh, this issue. And, and uh, some people believe when you die, you immediately, as a believer, get your resurrected body, and you're with the Lord with your resurrected body. And some people believe, no, when you die, your soul is with the Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But my body goes into the ground and it's waiting. It's waiting for what? It's waiting for the coming of the Lord. Just like she was thinking about one day, she's thinking about the second coming of the Lord, but, but we're thinking about His second coming as well. When He comes... He'll raise up the body of Christ, right? And we'll get new bodies, glorified bodies, and be with the Lord. So some people say, well, you get that glorified body now. And some people say, you get that glorified body later. Let me just read you a couple of verses here. I think it's worth noting. I just get excited about it. I'm telling you, this is, I mean, either way, I get it, right? I get the new body. I mean, it's thrilling to me. It should just wash fear out of your entire life. What can you do to me? Shoot me in the heart. I I will not die. You cannot kill me. Christ holds my life in his hands. I cannot die. I have eternal life. Is that thrilling? It should change the way we live, shouldn't it? So let me read a couple verses here and see how many I can get through. I know I got 18 minutes left. I still got my clock going, so... There should be some peace on you. Just just relax. We're gonna, lunch is still going to... We're going to get there at lunch. If we don't die before the end of this mess. No, I'm just kidding. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm not hearing the leaves turning. They're called... They used to be called leaves back in the old day. You know, when you turn the little vellum type things over. Okay. Okay, got it you're there first Thessalonians chapter 4 13 through 18 it says but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep sleep again so well he's just sleeping there that's what Jesus said about Lazarus lest you sorrow as others who have no hope but so this is a letter written to saying listen I brothers believers I don't want you to to sorrow like people who don't understand the hope of Christ and don't have the hope of Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Sounds like soul sleep, doesn't it? Like they're there sleeping, and then later on he's going to bring them forward. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Which means we're not out ahead of them, we're not going to get there before them. So he says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So it says the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and it's giving us a description. He's going to come down from heaven... In the air, he'll stop in the air. And with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Which means those who are already dead in Christ are going to rise first. So it sounds like in that order he's saying it, that he comes. Just the most natural reading here. And then the dead in Christ are going to rise. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. The snatching away, right? That's where we get the rapture. Together up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So it sounds like either they've been sleeping there and waiting. And then, you know, it's going to happen at the same time. We're not going to be ahead of them. Same time. Boom. Trumpet sounds. They, they're they rising up. And Bobby, Tim, you know, go up. We go up with them. Right? Now I want you to turn to another passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I wish I could read the whole chapter. Just That's your homework assignment. You go home and read it. No, I'm just kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm just going to take a little selected version, a uh, portion of this, but he's talking about the same thing. The body goes into the ground and it dies. It's like a seed and, and it's it, goes, it has to go into the ground and die in, in order in this old, this, this dead form, this corrupt form. And just like a seed goes in, it's ugly, and it looks like death, and it's just a little round thing there. But when it goes in the ground and dies, something else comes out. It doesn't look anything like that seed, but it's connected to that seed. And so God has a plan for these bodies. They go into the ground. They're, they're ugly. They're sinful. They're corrupt. Um, and yet uh, there's a plan, though, that, that, that they're going to sprout a new body and come forward to something that's glorious. And so he says, now, this I say, brethren, verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now I say, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So our fleshly bodies cannot, um, they're corrupt, and so they can't come forward into a beautiful new thing because they're corrupted. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery, though, we shall not all sleep, But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Sounds a lot like what we just heard. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So now they they have a new, and he's speaking about this body, the flesh and blood. It's raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Sounds like um, God's got something special for this body. One more, one more verse. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. You're almost there. Just slip a few pages. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I think Paul liked talking about this. It was one of the great things that he knew we were having on our way, and it was great comfort to us, wasn't it? That we're going to get a new one, and it's exciting, this new glorified body that we have. And he likes to speak about it. And uh, if you go there in 2 Corinthians, you know, we, we realize that even no matter what we go through, it's not going to be worthy to be compared to what God has out ahead of us. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. Now, wait a minute. So now it's calling this body an earthly house, a tent. Now, we have a tent. So it's separating our soul from our body. Our body is a tent that we have. It's a temporary tent. It's going to be folded up and put away, isn't it? It's going to be destroyed. But it says, wait a minute, but we have a building from God. A house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. And if you go all the way to verse 8... It says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, all of these passages of Scripture seem to give us uh, an understanding. And, and, and again, I'm not going to split hairs with somebody who believes that you get your you know, glorified body when you die. But it sounds like there's a gap here. And we know in the book of Revelation, when the saints die in the tribulation, they go to be with the Lord. Their souls are with the Lord. But they don't get their bodies until the resurrection or the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. And so it would seem that this is the same way with us. We're present with the Lord, but he's got a glorious moment that we receive this new body. Now, now let me just take you one more place in your mind here that I think is just amazing. It's just am- it, it humbles me to the core of my being. Let me ask you a couple of questions. First, our, our, our question is this. Is Jesus a spirit? Well, the answer is yes. He was a spirit. God is a spirit. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. That's who God is, a spirit being. He's not a fleshly being. He's not an earthly being. He created the earth, but he's outside of it. He's a spirit. He's beyond that. So, yes, Jesus is a spirit and a spirit. But does Jesus have a physical body? Yes, he has a physical body. Well, has he always had a physical body? No, the Bible says he took on flesh. And that's what John was saying. He became one of us. He linked himself. God became flesh. Why did he become flesh? because men were perishing their flesh was perishing their souls were perishing both were going to die and Jesus came to remedy that didn't he and he took on our flesh our body now stay with me just, uh, just a moment now when Jesus rose from the grave did he receive a new body well we, we want to say yeah he received a new body Um, no He didn't receive a new body. Um, He didn't have to receive a new body because his body wasn't corrupt. His body wasn't broken. His body wasn't born in corruption. His, His body had seen no corruption. It had no sin in it. So it died, and when he rose again, he had that same body, didn't he? But it was going to be glorified. This sacrifice, this, this physical body, as he received, ascended to the Father, he said, well, Don't touch me, I have not yet been glorified. And he went to be with the Father, passed along all of the sacrifice that he had given, and he received a glorified body. If you want to see what his glorified body looks like, you can either go to um, uh, the transfiguration passage, or you can go to the second coming of the Lord uh, when he comes down. He's amazing. It's amazing body. And the Bible says that it was flesh and bone, wasn't it? They could touch me, and you, you, he, he ate with them, and so he has this glorified body. And, and the idea is, is that our body is going to go back to the dust, this this one that's going to perish. But God says, "I'm gonna, I've got a plan for you that you you're going to get to enjoy what I get to enjoy, even though your body was corrupt. Um, I'm going to give you this new body because I've paid for your sin, and now he's got a new body." Uh, for us as well and say well that's still that's exciting but I already knew all that okay one more thing one more question when Jesus when we see Jesus will he have a body will he have a body will he keep his body his resurrected body we'll be able to see the nail prints in his hands and the wounds in his side the Bible says we will We'll always look at him as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Now here's the question. And it's, I think it's fascinating for me to think about it. Will Jesus always have his body throughout all eternity? Will he keep that body? You know, he took on that body. And even as glorious as a human body is it's, uh, and can be glorified before the Lord, um, it was a part of his surrender to the Lord to become one of us. He's the God-man, isn't he? He's the mediator between God and man. He is fully God and he is fully man. And throughout eternity, will he keep that body? Yes, I believe that everything we see is that he will keep that body. He'll always be in relation with us and this glorified body and his body will always be a testament to us. That humbles me that God would do that. He has come in. To our world and he's redeemed our world and always will remember him as the one who died for us gave his life for us his body he'll keep that body and we'll have relationship with him and the bible says we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then out into eternity john first john uh, you don't have to turn there three two says beloved now we are children of god and it has not been uh, yet been revealed what we shall be but we know when we when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a day coming for us that we're going to meet up with the Lord, and when we see him, we're going, to have, we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. He's going to transform us. God wants relationship, doesn't he? Beautiful, pure, wonderful relationship with man. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Let's get back to our, our text here, because I'm going to wrap up. I'm very aware of... The time. Not confident in my ability to get through that in that time, but here we go. Back to the text in John 11, verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, Teacher, uh, the teacher has come and is calling you. Now, listen, Martha's just about overwhelmed in what she just heard about Jesus. She didn't understand all of that, but she understood that, hey, uh, this is the one this is the one, and got some great things coming, resurrection's coming, everybody's going to rise, and, and so it was filling her heart. As soon as she had heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, so he still hadn't even made it to the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him, and then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. And and it's almost as if they're, they're being hush-hush about Jesus there, maybe because of all the threats. We don't know. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question. But yet, the same faith. I know she had faith in him as well. So then we see in verse 33, then when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was moved in spirit and troubled and what does that mean it means he was visibly shaken in fact he it was a almost as if a groaning was there over him in fact the word in the greek is almost like an anger that came up you say well why would he get angry in the middle of this he was going to raise lazarus from the dead so we know that that wasn't what was troubling him we know that mary is going to be happy in a moment because her brother's coming back from the dead and that's not a problem here what was the problem here well, we, we look at it and we say, well, well, was Jesus grieved over the fact of death and that man has to go through death? Maybe. Maybe he's looking at this thinking of all of those that are there and death has to be a part of this world. Jesus didn't want that to happen. But finally this, was he grieved that in the middle of all of this, he looked at those Jews, because the Bible says he looked at the one who loved him, and then he looked at the Jews, and He says, and he and he's reminded of all of the Jews that were going to reject him. And by the way, most of the Jews rejected him. And here's Jesus offering them this promised new life. Just like the scripture said to raise them up. Give them this new life. And they were rejecting it. Not only that, they were trying to kill him on top of that. And Jesus is looking at that and he's looking at their rejection of him. And let me ask you this question. Um, what happens to someone who dies without accepting Jesus? It's great to be on the other side when you believe and trust in him and you receive eternal life, but what if you reject him? Well, the Bible says that they're alive, but, but yet they're still dead. So you're still a dead while you're alive. You're still dead. And that they, when they die, they're never going to live again which means no one's going to call them from the grave. No glorified body, no relationship with the Lord. Now, how does that make God feel? Does he have emotions? The Bible says Jesus wept, didn't he? He says, and he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? What makes God cry? What makes him, what troubles him in his spirit? That anybody would pass that up. That he couldn't give it to everyone. God's not afraid of man. He's not intimidated by man. He's not angry at they're angry at him. What troubles him is that they would reject him. And he reveals his glory, his glory and his miraculous power. And so we come back to our text and as we started in in verse 38 and he has them take away the stone and and, uh, then he speaks and he calls and he makes sure that um, he tells Martha, he says, you're going to see the glory of God. And, and then he begins to pray and he wants to make sure they know that this is what God's will was, that the graves are open and life is able to come out of the grave. And then he brings and he calls and Lazarus comes out. In fact, he had to name names, didn't he? I think if he, did, if he just would have kept a general thing and said, you know, <laughs> come out, they would all come out. And, uh, and so he specifically says I'm letting you come out now where was Lazarus well his soul has not been waiting around for four days his soul was probably uh, where the other souls were that were waiting on Christ's resurrection in paradise the Bible says and, but he calls him out it wasn't a great day for Lazarus was it It's a great day for everybody else to see he has power over death but you know did he get his glorified body he didn't did he got the same old thing man it must have been disappointing right come out, and you go, ah, oh, you unwraps, and he's like, you know, get the present, you unwrap him with the grave clothes, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, he had to die again, didn't he? And uh, so that new, was not that new body, but the picture was that the Lord is the Lord over everything. Let me, let me pray here this morning. I, I just want to say this, that when Jesus, uh, let, that miracle was finished, the Bible says the Jews, some of them believed and the Lord was thrilled. But I tell you what else staggers my brain, I cannot figure it out. It, it is to the testimony of the depravity of the heart of man, how wicked it can be. But the Bible says that there were, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did and said, he's hes over there, you can go kill him. And they began to plot and to say, um, uh, if we don't kill him, everyone's going to end up believing in him. Now, can you imagine seeing him speak to the dead and they come back to life? How are you going to hurt a man who can, has power over death? Can you kill him? But yet that was the plan of God, wasn't it? That they would try to kill him. And they even prophesied that, you know, it was better for one to die for all as we look at the rest of the passage. But, but it was a prophecy that was true because it was better for one to die for all. And that one was the king of kings and the Lord of Lord's. And now the Lord speaks uh, to our hearts. Now. Let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we have to look at our own hearts and we say, Lord, what do we believe regarding life and death? Do we believe that we'll never die? Should it affect our hearts, Lord, in the way that we live? Should it change the way that we live, Lord? Should, should we ever be afraid of death? Lord, you don't want us to be, do you? It's been swallowed up in victory, Lord, your victory. And even these bodies, as we say goodbye to them and they go to the dust, we know there's going to be a reuniting, and it's going to be a symbolic picture, Lord, as well that the body of Christ will meet the head, Christ Himself, and we will be together with you, Father, forever. And you've redeemed us and called us away from our incorruption to our I mean our corruption into our this incorrupt, beautiful, glorious body. And Lord, we know as believers will will never die, so challenge us, Lord, to live for Christ. Give us a heart like your son had, Lord, for the lost. And then, Father, we also pray for those who do not have this hope, unbelievers, Lord. And we know that, Lord, that sh- uh, crushes our heart as well to know that they are not alive, they are still dead, and and they will die and they will never come to life again. Would you just burn that into our, our minds again this morning? You've, you've given us treasures, Lord, to know. Valuable things that we set the course of our life over. It changes our direction. All a gift from your son, Jesus. And Lord, would you just give us a heart for those unbelievers that are perishing? You love the whole world that you gave your only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Garth. What a blessing it is to be able to get our focus on eternity. And it's easy to live as if we're going to live forever in these in these bodies and and with the lives that we have. But we're not. This is just only a small little time uh, related to eternity. In fact, you can't even measure it against eternity because eternity is is limitless. So what a great reminder. Let's stand together. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord, very important that you do that. You may be trusting in the wrong things regarding how to go to heaven, how it is that we have eternal life, because we don't become a Christian by being a good person or being religious or going to church or any of those things. That doesn't save a person. Because those things can't make us uh, be in a forgiven state. And that's really the issue is we have sin. We were born sinners. We were born less than perfect. We were, and we've sinned against God. We've offended him by our behavior. And, and, and God knows that we need forgiveness. And he didn't leave us in that condition. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to pay the full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sins. He took all the wrath that we deserved so that we don't have to experience that wrath. And so Jesus paid that price. He said it is finished on the cross. He didn't say to be continued. He didn't say you pick up where I left off. That's a finished work that he accomplished on the cross. So he's not asking us to, to be good people or to go to church or being religious or any of those things to kind of put the cherry on top of, of the Sunday that, that he uh, you know, made for us uh, related to eternal life. There's nothing we can add to that. But what it requires for us is to be able to receive that free gift that he offers us is to repent. And it causes us to say, I don't want to live my life the way that I've lived against you. I want, you died for my sins. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. So he requires us to, to make a U-turn in the road of life. It's called repentance. To prepare our hearts to receive that free gift. And so that's what it, he, he wants for you today. If you're here today and you don't know him. You may believe that he exists. You may have prayed to him. You may have been to church your whole life. That doesn't get you into heaven. There has to come a point in time where you receive. John chapter 1 tells us that to those that received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So we have to have a spiritual birth, trusting in the Savior, what he did for us. His death, burial, and his resurrection, and receiving it as a free gift by faith. And we do that by making that U-turn in the road of life. If that's you today, we'd like to pray with you to begin that relationship for which you were created. So there'll be those of us up front, or I'll be at the, 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 the door over there or in the back. Uh, we'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship, answer your questions, and maybe you're just like, well, I, just, I need to have these things dealt with first. I need to has, ask someone about these things. Come forward and ask. He's just, he's just extending his arms to you to, to, to receive him. He knows what he's getting. You don't clean yourself up before you come to Christ, just like you don't try to get clean before you go into a shower. You go into the shower to get clean, just like we go to Christ to get spiritually cleansed. We don't try to get cleansed first; that doesn't make any sense. He knows who He's getting. He knows your sin. He knows your sins. He died for Him. He paid for Him. Just a matter of you coming to Him, uh, you know, in humility, as a child would come, and just trusting Him simply. And that's what He wants for us. If we need prayer for anything related to these things, maybe you've been living your life in a way that doesn't look like a person that believes He's going to live for all eternity with God. Maybe you've been living for yourself. And so God would have you repent of that and turn back to him and, and say, I want to live for you, God. I want to have my priorities, your priorities, and so forth. And you just want to agree with someone in prayer. Take advantage of prayer. Obviously, you can pray for one another, but there'll be those of us up front or at the door. We'd love to pray with you and, and to take advantage of what God's saying to you by his spirit. Don't resist what he's saying to you by his spirit at any time. But when he speaks to us through his word, we need to make those changes right away. Join us for the Agape Feast, even if you didn't bring any food. The most important thing is not eating. The most important thing is fellowshipping. And so be around people you maybe haven't met yet. uh, And it doesn't matter if you didn't bring any food. We have plenty to go around. It's a blessing to have the the body of Christ to be able to come around and be around and be uh, loving one another. Very important. This world doesn't have that unconditional love. And we have that here, so take advantage of that. As always, I'll miss you. Lord willing, we'll be back next Sunday uh, to continue in Second Timothy. Very excited about what, what the Apostle Paul is saying to young Timothy at the end of his life and the end of his ministry. want to learn everything that he has for us as a family together, verse by verse. So God bless you this week. As always, I'll miss you. Dave, will you close us? Mm-hmm.